You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Well, it's the new year, and this is the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is the witty William Gallagher. <laughs> I was just pleased you had me back. I wasn't expecting a, a witty comment. Thank you very much. Um, the um, erudite Victor. There you go. That doesn't even. That's not even alliterative at all. Come on. Alliteration <laughs> you... goes a long way. That's why. <sighs> so, so we sat down over the Christmas break, and we thought about what to do about this because I, I want you to know that you're very much appreciated, and, and our listeners want you to know that you're very much appreciated, and so. Some of our listeners, some of our finest, most handsome listeners came up with some superlatives for you. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm just going to say I was thrown there. I thought you were, when you said, you know, nice people. I thought you meant listeners. It was great that people listen. didn't think you were talking about me. So I was kind of wrong-footed by that. And uh, now I'm wary. Some of them thought you were winsome. Okay. Clearly, well, they haven't seen so your sure. online profile picture, but... Some well, of them thought some of them thought you were wholesome, which I would accept. Uh, court case pending. Right, right. Um, whimsical. Oh yes, yes. Uh, worldly. Uh, court case pending. Right. I don't think there's a, a block on my international travel. That's not in the the current round of appeals. Just you so. get to the border and see what happens. Wondrous. Hello. Somebody said wondrous. Someone said say, wondrous. Thank you. Yeah. And then we lost the alliteration and, and went into esteemed, admirable, acclaimed, revered, eloquent, and articulate. Now, I, I am a little bit concerned about, about the revered portion of that. Uh, we're still talking about me because uh, yeah, I'm yeah, not exactly. recognizing me anymore. But. I know. Now, the okay. esteemed part works because the esteemed, you know, in, in America, we have a tradition historically, uh, especially in our, our government, of colleagues in in Congress saying, you know, my esteemed colleague from the other side of the aisle, and and it's, oh right, yeah, <clears> that's because they they can't remember the name. Yeah, I get that one. Yes, well, it's it's more of a backhanded insult, really. Oh, okay. It's it's not that they can't remember the name. It's it's that uh, by emphasizing the the esteem within which they are held, they're they're saying that dirty scoundrel, and that's. <laughs> where we've described you accurately. So talking about dirty scoundrels, we should talk about a couple of things, right? We should talk about Qualcomm briefly. So I'm still reeling from that last blow, but okay, <laughs> there is Qualcomm. Yes, I think there might be other things going there, on with Apple. Uh, there, there are, there are, but quickly Qualcomm, Qualcomm right? So Qualcomm, said on Thursday that they'd posted, that's today actually, said that they'd posted, recording Thursday, we released Fridays. So they said today that they'd posted security bonds of 1.34 billion euros in order to be able to enforce the court order that will ban sales of some Apple iPhones in Germany. And they needed to post these bonds as part of a legal requirement by the German court. So the German court found on December 20th that Apple had infringed on Qualcomm patents on power-saving technology that were used in smartphones. Uh, Apple said had said earlier that they would pull some older models from German stores. And according to the court order, Apple has to stop the sale, offer for sale, and importation for sale of all the infringing iPhones in Germany. So it's not clear which of these phones are the infringing ones. Are they old models? Are they new models? What? But Apple said that they're appealing the decision. The order goes into effect as soon as Qualcomm posts the bond, which they've done. Now, the reason they're posting this bond, why would why would Qualcomm have to put up a bond of uh, 1.34 billion euros in order to stop the sale, you ask? The reason yes, I'm asking. Yes. is that, you know, the, the court has gone along with Qualcomm's proposed ban on sale of these devices, but that's based on what's been presented so far. It hasn't been fully argued out. And so the bond is, what if Qualcomm were wrong? 
what if the court found that Qualcomm didn't do this correctly? What if what if they weren't found infringing? Well, someone has to pay Apple for all those potentially lost sales. And so Qualcomm has put up the bond so that if it goes in Apple's favor, Qualcomm will have the money to pay. Okay. Um, I think this means this is relevant particularly now because you just discovered what's happened to one point whatever billion dollars of Apple's expected earnings. Oh, yeah. There you go. And we were wondering what was going on. Hey, 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 hey. No, so let's let's recap for people who haven't paid attention to yesterday's news, Wednesday's news, as it were. The uh, late Wednesday, January 2nd, which is is not when you'd expect big news to drop, really, would you? Well, not that we can talk about publicly. No, in Apple's sense, no. Um, no, I think they're still... We have Boxing Day, you see. I don't know what Apple does for that yeah, Hang on, so, Boxing Day is after Christmas. We just have New Year's Day. Forgive me. Carry on. One of these. One of these things. So at any rate, January 2nd tends to be a bit of a lull, a quiet time, a time for, for being with family and reflecting, right? It's sort of the end to the Christmas holidays and the beginning of the new year and, and getting back into the swing of things. By around the 4th or the 5th, we're back on full. Yeah, unless you're in the UK and you're uh, up, coming up to tax term that you should have finished before, in which case it's a bit more of a hive of industry in Excel. But yes, other than that, for normal people, sensible people, it's a quiet yeah, time. Right, right. So it was unexpected that news would drop. And the news is that Apple's earnings are not quite what they were expected to be. Uh, what were the exact numbers? They were the expectations would have been eighty nine to ninety three billion, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're revising predictions to be about eighty four billion. Yeah, it's a range, but uh, yes, I think the the top is nine billion potentially less. Right, or uh, about seven percent is is kind of what I didn't figure it out to be. No, funny. It seems more when you say seven percent. But yes, uh, I mean a substantial chunk. I like the fact that uh, BBC News here in the UK obviously ran with this story and their business things, and obviously said stocks were down and all this stuff. But they ended by saying, "But you know, they do have two hundred billion sitting in the cash, so let's not get so worried about Apple." I thought that was unusually, you know, even-handed of a financial news reporter that night. When, when you have a company as big as Apple is, when Apple's fortunes turn down, so does the rest of the market follow a little bit. So, for, for example, I'm just looking at the notifications from investing.com and just the notifications on my phone. Uh, U.S. futures decline after Apple cuts forecast. Uh, Apple's reduced outlook hits global stocks. Yen jumps. Apple plunges in pre-market. Battered U.S. investors may need to eye emerging markets for better returns. So it, it has farther reaching impacts than just Apple's going to be okay because Apple's got all this money in the bank. I can see the knock-on effect with suppliers and things like that. I just, um, that last headline you're saying, I, I felt a bit overblown to me. I'm, I'm really curious to know where you sit on this because very often when there's been rumors of bad news financially for Apple, I've been a bit dismissive of it because there are every year and I kind of, you know, wait to see what really happens. Well, now it's really happening for some actual figures. Um, where do you stand on the, the scale between no to Apple is doomed? Well, so Apple themselves are not doomed. Apple themselves have some hard lessons to learn and some hard things to figure out. But Apple's not doomed because Apple has, as you say, this large bank account, right? A- Apple has many years to burn through before Apple is doomed. But a- as said, that there are other things going on. 
that Apple is a part of, you know, when we say follow the market, well, Apple's a large part of the market. And so when Apple turns down, the market turns down a little bit too. Yes. And when the market turns down, the question is, when do these things turn into a recession? Okay, going from Apple losing a bit, or rather not getting as much as normal to recession, seems a longer journey. Well, um, but it's not just Apple, right? Once it, it, these things sort of, so look, I've got a, I pulled up a Reuters article, you know, Reuters, US stocks slumped on Thursday after Apple's rare sales warning. And it is a rare sales warning. The last time I did this was in 2002. Mm-hmm. The last time they issued any kind of guidance like this, they sank 8.5%. And that is a big drag on the three major Wall Street indexes, right? The Dow, the S&P, and the... Uh... So when these indexes drop, right? If people invest in index funds, well, that's that's a large amount of investors who are, are potentially taking a hit. Yes, but investments may go up or down, as we know. I'm they may, they the may, but year. I'm trying to lay out the knock-on effects, right? It's not just Apple going up or down. It's Apple because it's part of index funds. The, the index funds go up and down as well, which then is the market going up and down. So these things that, begin to cascade. I get back to you know, the last year under um, the current U.S. administration. For example, I think stocks have been... I haven't been following the stocks, but they're not exactly as, as up and up as before. So, well, it's been a rocky ride. It's been a rocky ride. The past year for U.S. stocks have been one where there was uh, climbing in the the big old through the middle, beginning through the middle of the year, but down now and overall down about six percent. Okay, so and that was and that was before six, this Apple news. Seven. That was before okay. this news. So. I haven't done the math, but but it looks like maybe more after that news. Okay, so granted, this is not wonderful, but uh, is it ultimately that bad? Considering if it's moving like this anyway, and it's up and down a lot, uh, an investor may be worse off today, but could be better off again tomorrow. Is that uh, surely we're at that stage rather than sell Apple, run away? Well, you know, that look back at what the guidance was. Right, we talked about this in the past where the the guidance from people at Goldman Sachs, for example, right, Rod Hall, Goldman Sachs, right? He issued a research note on November 20th that we talked about. And that note at the time was downgrading Apple. And his note said that, um, you know, that Apple may have miscalculated with the iPhone XR pricing strategy. And they cut their price target. So the headline is there is analysts may be right, which I, I grant you is quite a headline. You know, we, we had discussed that we thought they were wrong, right? That the iPhone XR was doing great, that, that things were possibly on target. But, yeah. you know, they, he cut his price target from 222 to 209 and then cut it again from, uh, from 209 to 182 back in November. Okay, so analysts gets it right is still a headline. Uh, we get it wrong is probably less of a headline. It's less uh, unusual, should we say? But okay, uh, I like the fact that at least we've got some actual figures now rather than the supposition. Except I feel that the figures are leading to more supposition, and I don't know. I can't work out where the line is between just how seriously to take this and how not. I think it's bad for Apple, but it doesn't seem as calamitous as uh, some headlines I'm reading. So uh, again, where do you stand on the, the show? I just want to mention in price, right? So it was 222 and then 209 and then 182 is the target. And then after this news, we went from, you know, one, one 
160, 150 something down to 145. We dropped 11 points in after hours trading. And right. I say we were, t- I mean, we were talking about Apple, not not we as in, you know, my holdings or we as in we are Apple because we are clearly not. But um, it's, you know, they were, that that note was talking about miscalculating when setting the price for the iPhone XR. The iPhone XR begins at 750 and goes on up to the 256 model. There are a number of people who suggest that Apple have found the maximum you can raise the price to on an iPhone. Okay. They've certainly tried, yes. That, yeah. you know, the raising the price to a thousand and plus dollars is the limit that people will bear and that this shows it. I think that there are some other things at work here, right? I think that, first of all, we know that China is um, is certainly an issue, right? That, that Yes, absolutely. In so many ways, yes. You know, we know that Qualcomm tried to impose a sales ban there. We also know that when the U.S. Justice Department pursued the CFO of Huawei, who is the daughter of Huawei's founder, that that had a negative impact because people in China took that as America versus China as a move and, and punished Apple for it. And, and punished Apple for it. Poor old Apple. You've got to be thinking, what did we do? But okay, yes, that's what seems to have happened. So there's that. There's India as a market where Apple is still working out how to succeed in India. That's both from the standpoint of no longer selling the iPhone SE, which was an affordable device for that market. It's also about the additional taxes that India imposes on devices that are not manufactured in India. And so Apple has to start manufacturing more in India in order to be able to get those those prices down. But here's the question. Apple has run out of new markets, essentially. You know, being available everywhere in the world, including India and China, means where, where else are they going to grow? Where does growth come from? In years past, iPhones sold more in in 2009. Apple sold more iPhones than they did in 2000 and 2008 combined. In 2010, they sold more iPhones than they did in 2007, 2008, and 2009 combined. And last year, they sold 93 million phones, which is slightly more than they did in 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2010 combined. But but. That pattern has to end at some point because yes, at, absolutely. at some point, has, everyone's yeah. got one. And what are you going to do? Sell two of them to everyone? <laughs> I mean, the market gets saturated at some point. So so the growth becomes something difficult to, to chase. Now, a bad economy in China shrinks the number of people worldwide who can afford one of these things, right? Yeah, the reach and is less. And the other thing is, is the phone is pretty mature, right? The number of people who say that my last year's phone is good enough, I don't have to upgrade every year, or even I don't have to upgrade every two years, is is reached. Yes, but it was ever so. I held on to my iPhone 6 for, I can't remember how many years well, now. Was it but three? hold on, uh, hold on. Easily three. No, hold on, because before your iPhone 6, how long did you hold on to phones for? Good point. Um, I'm pretty sure I had an iPhone 5. I remember the four. Uh, so I was probably changing every two years. Yes, I was, because uh, this is something else we haven't talked about, the fact that uh, there are fewer contract options now than there used to be. Uh, until this phone I have now, the XS Max, I was paying an installment on a, a two-year contract with my carrier. Um, so I would have updated every other release. Yeah, so I had an iPhone. I had a 3G. I skipped 3GS and had a 4. I had a 4S very briefly and went to 5. I did. I skipped 5S. I went to 6. 
So for the most part, I was was pretty much every other year. And Ooh. that's what we called the flip flop or the TikTok or the um, or the S years, right? Yes. People would buy either the main release or they'd buy the S update. Yes. And during those times in the US, we had subsidies where you would pay a certain percentage of the phone up front. You'd pay 300 bucks up front, and then you'd pay the remainder off as a subsidy with your carrier, but you'd pay that in perpetuity kind of thing. And more so than you might think, because I remember having to argue with my carrier that, no, I have <laughs> made the last payment. Can you drop my monthly thing down? They did, but they weren't going to do it without me fighting. So. Right. And in America, they wouldn't do that. It was just that was your payment. And right. those subsidies ended and they went to monthly 24 month contracts, pay as you go kind of thing. So you don't pay anything upfront or, or small, you pay the sales tax upfront kind of thing, and then you pay monthly. And then when it's paid off, your bill drops. So we, we've, that's more sensible. It's more consumer friendly, but it's changed the nature of these plans. It's also changed the nature of these kind of flip flop upgrades because there are offers to turn in your phone or sell back your phone and then get the upgrade because they want to keep you perpetually in debt and perpetually going to the carrier. Oh, is the other part of it is Apple's releases have changed. You know, we had the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10 in the same year, which was weird because we had, it was basically the last generation with the home button and then new thing without it. And then we have the 10R and 10S and 10S Max in the same year. And so we, we don't have a clear division of the the TikTok cycle any longer because we're getting a new phone with each cycle here. Okay, um, so far, so I far, think you can argue that the, but the 10s so, and the 10s Max are the S versions of the 10, right? Um, and the 10R is is a lovely phone, a new phone, and it's a weird one in that you know it's it's maybe not the flagship phone in the way of camera and screen, but in every other respect, it is. So it's not like you can point to it and say that that's an SE. You can't do that. It's it's a the product matrix is more confusing than it has been. Yes, I'd go along with that. And <laughs> the namings, uh, I still lament the whatever the iPhone nine would have been. But yes, uh, I get the fact that Apple uses X for some things and ten for others is is throwing me completely. Yeah. Even I'm saying iPhone ten S every now and again. I'm saying ten you know. R. I don't know the yeah. the the other part of this is that so we know that when consumers are confused they just don't purchase or they purchase alternatives that they i mean it's nobody's job to understand uh product names and things so if you do get somebody else's in the sense of understanding it you may well just get that one and why wouldn't you yes i mean it, there, there's there's the paradox of choice which says when you're presented with too many options that are too confusing you you just don't purchase anything yes you know if i give you three products and say pick one you'll pick one especially if you can see a good, better, best kind of pricing strategy. If I give you 24 products, what do you do? Well, funny enough, I think this is actually what held me off buying an iPhone 6 originally. Um, there was a choice when I was looking of the 6, 6 Plus, and I didn't actually think either of them were quite what I needed, so I didn't buy until my iPhone 5, ah, it was a 5, I remember it now, died in a spectacular way, and I went into and actually asked the Apple Store, right, which is the cheapest, and what have you got right now that I can go out to a meeting with? And that was how I made my choice. Um, yes, but given free will and free determination, I couldn't pick between the sixes, and that's easier compared to what we have now. Right. And so I think there's there's that part of it that plays a role. I think the other thing that plays a role is something you mentioned before, which is the fact that the smartphone is 11 years old and it's maturing. 
and that people can easily have iPhones that last three to four years. The, the This combined with Apple's efforts to make iOS 12 run so well on older hardware are good things, but they, they draw out how long people can hang on to older phones, which affects the sales numbers here. You know, and, and there's another part of this that plays a role, which was the battery debacle of last year. Yes. Where people were convinced for ages that Apple was making their phones slower in an effort to convince them to buy new phones. Yes. And while that wasn't the intention, it, it's certainly possible to read it that way, especially once Apple said, you know what, when you change your battery, your phone will run fast again. You know, I, I, I think that what happens is these small engineering changes that happen on one person's desk have huge knock-on effects, right? And if the answer is you can change your battery and your phone will be fast again, maybe you don't need to buy a new one, that one engineering choice contributes to these sales numbers, which contributes to the stock numbers, which contributes to the stock numbers of index prices, which has these huge knock-on effects we were talking about. Sure, but there's no From, one engineering decision that does this on its own. There's, I, I, again, I've said this before, the, the amount of work that goes into creating a new phone I mean, I think I'm busy, but it's staggering to me how much is achieved by Apple and Samsung and all of these in any one year. And you know that each tiny little part, every tiny decision has a massive impact on the whole thing. Um, so this is just a culmination of... I want to point out, we had Ken Kashenda on this, this podcast a while back, remember? Yes. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. reading his book, all of the meetings that he ever described really being a part of were maybe less than 10 people in the room. They weren't big, giant meetings with large numbers of people involved in these decisions that most of them sounded like they were, you know, four or five people in the room and that not every decision went all the way up to the executive level, right? He, he demonstrated sure. for Steve Jobs a couple of times, but there were many times where he determined, you know, worked things out and demonstrated to his immediate report, you know, managers. And that's kind of it. So... That's where I'm going with this this battery decision. Oh, I see. You're saying that Apple should fire the sixth or the eleventh. No, person not at team. all. Not I at take all. Your point. Not at all. I'm just saying that there are decisions being made by you know small numbers of people that have these kinds of huge impacts that it's hard to see at the time. Yeah, you know, th think about how they got there. Right. The initial part of that battery debacle was that a few years before. Someone decided that having your iPhone slow down and last longer was better than having it power off spontaneously, mm -hmm. which was a sensible decision, right? So that got implemented. And then a few years later, this happened and it became necessary to expose that to the end user and explain what's going on, right? And then the result yeah. of that was the battery program that said that you should come and get your battery changed. And the result of that is the part of the sales numbers right, but this is uh, this to me is illustrative of all business this some of these are technology decisions decisions rather and some of them are marketing ones uh do we tell people do we not and that kind of thing and uh, all of it has to work right but there's there's a difficulty here and that is that this was the sales quarter that apple said we're not going to report unit sales anymore yeah reporting a sales shortfall in the same quarter that they've stopped reporting unit sales is only going to give people's imaginations fuel to make the leap that that apple has stopped reporting unit sales because they have something to hide and those same people are ignoring the fact that no one else has ever reported 
actual sales. Right. But would you agree that it's bad optics? Sure. Yes. Yeah. I just don't know how much more it is. And the thing with optics is that they move on. Yeah. This is this is a difficult story, right? It's a difficult kind of thing to to fully understand. We're just trying to help you put it in context here. Now, I find as we're talking, we tend to be moving to opposite ends of this as we're exploring things, like we're offering the alternatives here. I still don't really know what I think of this story. Um, but uh, are you more firm now on uh, exactly how good or bad it is? The, the problem is that when we're talking about investing, investors make decisions and they, they choose to buy or sell sometimes on emotional input in addition to whatever reason or formula or, or research that they've conducted. And so optics, even though they, they change with time, they, they have an impact. Sure. It's just when they change, the ones that they've changed to have an yeah. impact right as well so it's like uh you know the, the idea that things look bad the idea that you can draw the conclusion that apple has something to hide is it's maybe not good timing to make that kind of a change or announcement or or just it was bad that these two things happened in such close coincidence to each other i must be i'd forgotten that they'd uh dropped that i'm presuming that today's or sorry excuse me this week's announcement is, is probably legally required or something so uh, they didn't have a choice with this one presumably they did with the last so yes uh bad luck apple yeah i i just think that you know in the note that that cook issued publicly in this in this sales projection they strongly focused the the blame for this on developing markets yes i feel like it's a little bit more than that it's not just these these external these these outside markets and so we have from a, a source inside apple not authorized to speak on behalf of the company the note that tim cook has issued to the inside of the company should we should we read that well there's a uh, uh, most of it's all the same that you would have heard anywhere else but i think there's like a key paragraph where um, he let's, begins by saying external forces may push us around a bit. No, let's let's give him a little bit more than that. He says, "This Happy New Year. I was hope everyone was able to rest and enjoy time with loved ones over the holidays. We issued a letter to Apple investors explaining we're revising our financial guidelines. As you will see, our revenue shortfall in Q1 is from iPhone primarily in greater China. So there again, we, we're pointing the finger straight squarely at these markets. Now, of course, the positive side, it's right. Quote, while we are disappointed to fall short of our quarterly revenue goal, our fiscal first quarter was also a record setter for revenue from services, wearables, and the Mac. iPad revenue grew double digits over the year ago quarter, and iPhone activations in the U.S. Canada set new Christmas Day records. We expect to set all-time revenue records in key markets, including the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Western European countries, including Germany and Italy, and countries across Asia-Pacific region like Korea and Vietnam. Our worldwide installed base of active devices hit an all new, uh, hit a new all time high, reflecting the loyalty of our customers and their appreciation for all the work you do. So we have to talk about the positive notes, right? Tim has to lay out that there's something to be positive about here, and here's all the other good things that are going on. But it's clear the iPhone is the biggest revenue generator for Apple, right? Yes, absolutely. Far and away. He says in the next paragraph, we're tremendously proud of the innovations we're delivering to our customers with iPhone XR, iPhone XS, and iPhone XS Max. These are, without a doubt, the best iPhones we've ever made. We did not set a new record for iPhone sales in Q1, however, due to a number of factors, some macroeconomic and some specific to Apple and the smartphone industry. Here's the paragraph you were leading up to. Here's the paragraph you wanted. Do you want to read it? Well, this is the pivot of the entire thing. Everything up to now is uh, Happy New Year and everything's great, uh, except for these bits. And then it's uh, external forces may push us around a bit, but we are not going to use them as an excuse, nor will we just wait around until uh, they get better. Um, 
I like that. That's uh, I read a headline somewhere, somebody saying Apple was blaming everybody but itself. Uh, this line says to me, no, they're not. Um, they are looking at this. Uh, there's a line further on in that same paragraph, isn't it? Uh, delivering the best products on Earth, providing them with service. Yet we manage Apple for the long term. That's what this uh, uh, memo says. And we've mentioned that before, uh, certainly on Apple Insider. Uh, I believe this bit. I also think Apple can afford to look at the long term, given its current financial state. But it's always done this, even when it didn't have cash. And, and I think this is uh, actually a good sign. I was expecting this internal memo to be the same kind of things I've you know, seen at corporations where I've worked that's just basically fluff. But that paragraph tells me, you know, something more serious is being done. I'm concerned because I, I see where you're saying that this is external forces may push us around a bit, but we're not going to use them excuse. We're going to we're not waiting around until they get better. So this gives them the opportunity to learn and take action, to focus their strengths on Apple's mission, delivering the best products on Earth for our customers and providing the unmatched level of service. And some of the criticism that I was reading online last night was talking about the changes in mission. Here, here's one piece of online criticism that I think was worth interest, worth mentioning here. Quote, what happened at Apple, to be honest, over the years was the, the goal used to be to make the best computers in the world. And that was goal one. And goal two, we got from Hewlett Packard, actually, which was we have to make a profit because if we don't make a profit, we can't do goal one. So, yeah, I mean, we enjoyed making a profit, but the purpose of making a profit was so we can make the best computers in the world. Along the way, somewhere, those two got reversed. The goal is to make a lot of money, and well, if we have to make some good computers, well, okay, we'll do that too, because we can make a lot of money doing that. And it's very subtle. It's very subtle at first, but it turns out it's everything. That one little subtle flip takes five years to see it, but that one little subtle flip in five years means everything. So we've put those things in their proper order again. I'm not sure what I think about that. Uh, okay. Okay. I see the difference. Uh, I just, I'm not certain when Apple did that flip then. I mean, okay, we ignore the uh, uh, the centrist years, but other than that, hasn't it always tried to do the best? Hold on. I'm just going to look up the source of that quote, if you will. Ah, here we go. So you're not sure what you think of that one, right? I'm waiting for the provenance, I think, is what I'm... Okay. There was a young man who said that it, at the CAUSE conference in 1998 in Seattle. And he was there, and he was talking about how Apple had managed to sort of make itself less relevant on account of these misplaced priorities. Is this person going to turn out to be a, a young Timothy Cook or anything like that? Un unfortunately for that, no, it's a, it's a young Steve Jobs. Okay. Right? And that explains what happened to Apple in the 90s and how they became less relevant. And, and those are the centrist years. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, the question is, are we there again? And what's the answer? Well, I, I think you have to draw your own conclusions. But... I, if you wanted to see it that way, I, I think there's enough evidence that you could convince yourself of it. And if you didn't, isn't there enough evidence? I'm not saying I don't. I'm just saying uh, this is not as clear cut as one might like for uh, an argument about this type of thing. Well, it's, I mean, saying that, yeah, you know, the, the iPhone is the biggest seller. Yes. Uh, yes, apparently so. Okay. Yes. And the iPhone has become a device where you don't have to get the newest one every year because the old ones are so good and because the prices keep climbing and what they deliver for that price climbing is to to at least 
a certain number of users not delivering enough for the money in return, right? You know, what, what were the big leaps and advantages? Yes, the processors got faster based on numbers, but in terms of delivering a better experience or a use or, or a significantly better experience, it comes down to some machine learning stuff that people aren't really clear on exactly how it benefits them and photography. And if you're using your phone for things other than that, then then maybe you don't have to go out and get the fancy one. Okay, I think there's uh, there is more in the new phones, but I would agree that it's uh, stuff that one doesn't discover or at least doesn't appreciate until one's actually used it. I wouldn't like to go back to my iPhone six, and part of that is the speed. Uh, I imagine part of it is the photography, but just for the sheer um, culmination of all of the impact, the, the effect it's had on my work is why I wouldn't go back. So I couldn't right. name one feature but, that did but it. That's a problem that yes, you can't name one feature that did it. You know, it, it, it's if you, if you have to experience it for a week in order to understand why you need one, that's a really difficult hill to climb for sales. Sure. Yes. And I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's better than having a phone that genuinely isn't any better, which seems to go against the argument of them just doing things for the money first. It feels like they are trying to make better phones. Well, just not conveying it. Necessarily I, as I, I feel like the, the Steve Jobs quote isn't entirely applicable because we know that they have the health labs and that they're really trying to push in the health space. But we haven't seen the fruits of that yet, right? Well, yes. I mean, specifically with health, you've just had uh, the ECG stuff on the watch in the States. And that's kind of thing. But yes. Uh, but, I, I mean, that, those are baby steps. Okay, pretty good baby steps, but I'll take that. Yes. Yeah. It, it would be easy enough to say that that. Apple, I would say Apple needs to be mindful as they learn these lessons that Tim Cook is talking about, that they need they they really need this quote at the forefront. They need to be mindful that they don't allow that to happen. Because if you don't have something front of mind, it's easy to lose sight of the mission. I think particularly when you're under the pressures that a company like Apple must be. I mean, I, I, again, the cauldron. The pressures under there, uh, them and any uh, device manufacturer must be amazing. So yes, I can see that easily. I just I feel like we've gone um, in trying to work out whether this is good news or bad news. We've ranged twenty odd years into the past uh, and not really nailed it down. We've look, we've kind of nailed down things to look for, uh, but what happens next? I think is what I'd like to know. Well, I, I think first of all there are the markets problem to sort out, right? China and India and Germany and Qualcomm. But I think there needs to be some introspection on what iPhone needs to become, what services need to become to support iPhone, what um, and support Apple. You know, we, we talk about services, right? iMessage is an excellent service for communicating with messages. Most of the world's using WhatsApp owned by Facebook. They're not using Signal or Telegram because Signal and Telegram are kind of under the radar and also somewhat hard to set up, especially in terms of Signal. So people They're are using WhatsApp. Right, yes. exactly. It's an, it's an end-to-end encrypted service that has strong encryption on it. Telegram also has strong encryption on it, although Telegram originates in Russia, which gives some people the heebie-jeebies. The, but so does WhatsApp. You know, WhatsApp is originally in Facebook and, and gives people the heebie-jeebies a little bit. So you're really only good choice for end encrypted that's not a part of you know signal telegram or iMessage and if apple were able to open up iMessage as a client for android users and charge them 5 bucks for the privilege you would see people starting to take advantage of apple's services you well, know, I would imagine so. Yes. If, if um, apple followed through on steve jobs original promise years ago to open source facetime you would see people take advantage of that 
And except, of course, for the, you know, the holdouts that are I'm never giving Apple my money for anything ever people, which there are a few. of. Sure. But it's, you know, one of the questions is, is Apple holding those things back due to patents and trademarks issues? Is is Apple holding those back due to trying to protect the iPhone and make the services be the best that they can be on iPhone versus releasing them to Android? And of course, they've released Apple Music to Android. And they've released other Android applications, notably the how to port away from Android, transfer your stuff to iOS. Yes. So yes. it's it's not like they have no experience doing stuff like that. The the que- And they released iTunes for Windows. So there are examples where it makes sense for them to do these kinds of things. So isn't the logical inference that it doesn't make sense for them to put iMessages on Android for reasons that maybe we don't know? But uh, it won't be that nobody there has, has thought about it. You know, when when you have a company, you have sacred cows. You have, and and Tim Cook has said years ago, when he announced the uh, the SE, that they were never afraid to cannibalize their own product line. That that they should, you know, you should eat your children before anyone else does, kind of thing. Okay. And yes. I I think that iPhone, because it is the prime source of income is a sacred cow and doing these kinds of things that might endanger iPhone gets an instant no. Okay. That seems, we obviously don't know, but that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And, and is that going to change as a result of these results? I, I think I can't answer that definitively, but what I hope is that it gets asked as a question as a part of this, because the, you know, a valid question is, is the future one where we're still carrying around ever growing pieces of glass that are ever thinner in our pockets? Or is the future one where these devices change form factor, they change how they fit in our lives, but the services that tie them all together are the thread of it, are the thing that makes it work? I've always been more of a software guy than a hardware guy. So I, I'm sure that the form factor will change, but the services will live on. Great. Yeah. So so they should be considering whether or not to bring services to other platforms and make the services become that much more the thread between all of our lives. But then you get into the whole lowest common denominator thing. If you try to get uh, something great on an iPhone to work on all Android phones, are you not going to end up compromising well, it? And if you don't... Uh, I, I think there's a mix, right? You can't necessarily say we're going to deliver all of our computational and, and machine learning photography to every platform because you can't rely on what kind of cameras there. But in terms of messaging, sure you can. And messaging is sticky because once you start using it and that's where your friends are, it, it works. Now, Google hasn't been able to make a messaging platform work, right? They had Hangouts, they had Allo, they had uh, Messages Plus. They, they've got all kinds of things going on. And they basically given up and ceded that to the carriers using RCS now. So I don't know what RCS is. It's it's the replacement for MMS. Oh, right. Great. <laughs> so long as I've used MMS. But okay. <laughs> I remember that being the big new thing. I feel so old suddenly. Okay. So yes. And also, I'm embarrassed to say, the first time I heard about Google Hello was when they closed it down. Uh, so I'm really, I mean, I'm down with the kids and messaging, clearly. But yeah. I see your point. So I, I think it's a question that has to be examined. Now, we were talking about end-to-end encryption for a second ago. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where data goes, right? Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. And you're being tracked online by social media companies, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your whole browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. And, and the truth is, you know, my carrier does that too. 
That's why I decided to take back my privacy using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, or tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month, and it's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. And if you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. That's expressvpn.com slash appleinsider for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to learn more. Well, William, I feel like we've, we've covered so much ground here. I think we've sorted out apple that's that's really what we've done and um and they're very welcome so glad we could help we're out of time i'm really sorry what william where can people find you on the internet uh i will be glued to the internet on twitter at w gallagher and obviously at appleinsider.com waiting for every detail of every financial announcement definitely what about you well i'm v marks on twitter and you can always reach me right here you can find me at victor ladies and gentlemen everyone in the audience Thank you so much. This has been myself, Victor, and the wondrous William Gallagher. We'll be back next week. Just stopping the recording. <laughs>